welcome to Ivy League Murders. My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator. And my name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family. Laura and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University. On Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away. Murder, murder. Hey, Laura. Hey, Sarah. Boy, what do we have this week? Well, this week we have an ongoing case that we've been covering, Sarah, and we have some breaking news. On the Kevin Zhang murder case. And this is, wow, I cannot believe what has happened. So what is the big news on this case? Norm Pattis, who is this larger-than-life attorney in Connecticut, has agreed to be the defense attorney for King Zuan Pan. And this is really big news, Sarah, because I think a lot of us assumed that this case would wind up in a plea agreement because a lot of us looked at the evidence and thought it was pretty strong. And this is really a game changer. It is a game changer. And he is, I mean, this guy is a pit bull. I'll tell you that much. And he is really one of these larger than life characters. You know, he's one of these kind of lawyers, like you either love him or you hate him, but you cannot ignore him. Absolutely. I mean, he's a lawyer who courts controversy and he has defended some pretty controversial clients. Absolutely. And I love your quote. As Voltaire may or may not have said, I may disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. And I think that's how Pattis feels. He puts it this way. He thinks that his role is really to be there for the defendant so that they have somebody to be on their side as the world around them basically hates them. Right. Pattis, among other people, has defended Alex Jones from Texas. Alex Jones is somebody who disclaimed the Newtown school shootings. He's from, a conspiracy theorist. He's been blocked yep. on YouTube and other social not media a, Not a very likable guy, but really Pattis has no problem defending the despised. And I love, read the description of how he describes himself. <laughs> he says he's 64 years old, he has a ponytail, and he has issues with authority. And so we'll circle back to Pattis, but I will really be interested because already Pattis is trying to poke holes in the arrest warrant. And the arrest warrant is public, by the way. We will post that. It makes for some fascinating reading. And I urge you, if you are interested in this case, it's 88 pages long. I've read it twice because I'm a crime geek, but it makes for some very interesting reading. And I really urge our listeners who are interested in this case to read it. But it will be interesting to see how Pattis will try to muddy the waters, because this is what criminal defense attorneys do. Pan, of course, is innocent until proven guilty, but the evidence in the warrant, Laura, is very compelling. And we'll break that down for our listeners in a minute. 
I think the fear here is that Pattis is going to really become the focus and not Pan and not Kevin. So we want to keep the focus on the victim, on Kevin, and not lose the focus. And Sarah, you had brought up some good points in other trials like the OJ trial when you really see the dream team becoming more of the The focus focus rather than the victims. And I'll tell you something, Laura, in my experience as working on criminal defense, and I've worked for some very like Boston attorneys who are very colorful, they attract a lot of attention. And I've seen it time and time again, in my experience, they become the focus for juries rather than, and the spotlight gets taken off of the victim. And I don't want to see this happen here. And I think our next step here is to update our listeners, but also for those of you who are not familiar with the Kevin Jang case, we want to give you a little bit of background. So Kevin Jang was a second year master's student at the Yale School of Environment. He was an army veteran and the sole supporter of his mother, Linda Liu. He studied forestry at Yale. He came from the Chicago area. Kevin was a wonderful, wonderful guy. He was a giver. He was a total kind soul, very devout Christian who was active in his church. On February 6th at 8.33 p.m., New Haven police responded to multiple gunshots in a neighborhood about a mile away from Yale's main campus. They found Zhang lying in the street. He had been shot in the face multiple times. This was a crime of rage. He died at 8.48 p.m. Who would shoot this promising young man, a man who had dedicated his life to service, to the military, to supporting his mom, and to the environment? Nothing made sense. Witnesses said that they saw a newish black SUV vehicle flee the scene. Initially, and New Haven is a rough town we're talking about, initially Zhang was thought to be the victim of a random road rage incident because the New Haven police noted that there was damage also to Zhang's Prius. A week before his death, Kevin had proposed to his fiancée, Zion Perry. They were both Christians of deep faith. Zhang announced his news joyfully on social media. Actually, that's still up on Facebook, Sarah. It's really sad. Heartbreaking. Was this the motive for the murder? Was jealousy at the heart of this senseless crime? So about a half an hour after Zhang was shot, the New Haven police received a report of a suspicious vehicle in Sims Metal Yard. This is a metal yard that's about eight miles away from the scene of the shooting. And I think what happened was this was not long after the shooting, and basically it had not been broadcast that there was this shooting. So the police that responded to the Sims Metal Yard were not aware that there was like an APB on a dark SUV. There was none of that yet because it was directly right after the shooting. So they did not make the connection then, but they will. The police identified King Zuan Pan as the driver of the vehicle, which was a black GMC SUV. Pan told them he got stuck on the tracks and he was just trying to go back to Massachusetts. Look, I bet you he played the befuddled professor who was just a little confused and was trying to take a U-turn to go back to Massachusetts. That's what I suspect. We've seen him. I mean, he doesn't look dangerous. No, he doesn't. And what happens next is really kind of infuriating. When the police ran the place on the vehicle, they came back as lost or stolen, but they did not arrest Pan. And this makes me crazy. They had not gotten word that there had been a nearby shooting, which is no excuse. Pan seemed an unlikely suspect. And I'm sure, as you said, he probably acted befuddled and made excuses. And they let him go, Sarah. I know. Now, why did they let him go? I mean, this I'm assuming that he looked innocent and they didn't see him as a threat, but... 
just goes to show you, and we talk about this a lot at Ivy League murderers, looks can be very deceiving. They can be very deceiving. So according to the affidavit in the arrest warrant, the GMC, the truck, was towed. So that gets towed. But on the way, the tow truck driver gives Pan a ride to a nearby Best Western this Hotel. This is crazy. It's I mean, they so are like not only letting him go, they're accommodating him and giving him a ride to a nearby hotel. Yes. And in reading it, the officer said that responded to the scene noted that Pan was still wearing all dark clothing. There was a yellow jacket in the car. And the officer also noted a bag with the words Malden, Massachusetts on it or Malden MA Mass. Pan is also notably wearing a dark Metro PCS cap. This is important. Keep note of this. So the tow truck driver, Laura, drops Pan off at the Best Western. And he says, this is so nuts to me, he says that Pan hops on the bed of the truck and tries to retrieve a heavy, dark bag from the back of the GMC. The tow truck driver has to yell at Pan. He's trying to pull him off the back. He's trying to get into this car. Finally, the tow truck driver's like, whatever the hell it is in the car, I'll go get it for you. And he retrieves this like dark, heavy bag. This is crazy. The next morning, very close to the Best Western, an employee at Arby's Roast Beef called the police and tells them there's a suspicious looking bag that he found in the driveway and he found a gun in the bag. This freaks me out, Laura. So one of the officers that responded to the Arby's had also responded to the Sims metal yard. This is important. And he had spoken to Pan. So I don't know if this was a coincidence or what have you, but in the bag is a Ruger pistol, a blue plastic bag that has Malden mass on it that the officer recognized from inside of Pan's car from the night before. Officer also recognized the dark cap with Metro PCS on it that Pan was wearing. Very, very important. So the officers race to the Best Western. Pan's no longer there. He's solid gone. Pan becomes a person of interest and the focus of the investigation. This is what's so interesting about reading the warrant. Also, the police begin to connect the dots. For example, one of the witnesses to the shooting says the perpetrator was wearing a yellow jacket. And this is the yellow jacket that's seen in Pan's car. Well, there's a yellow jacket. A yellow I, I, can't, jacket. I can't say it's the, right. you know. Also, according to the affidavit contained in the warrant and through DNA analysis, they test the GMC and Kevin's blood, what's also found in the interior of the GMC, Laura. Yeah, this is important. Yeah. And they also test the items found in the Arby's bag. Pan is linked forensically to the items that were in the bag via a fingerprint, his fingerprint on the magazine of the Ruger found in the bag. But the real clincher is the Metro PCS cap match, and it has Kevin Zhang's blood, which is present on the exterior of the cap. I don't know what the hell Pattis is going to do with this, but I'll tell you, it's pretty damning evidence. I've looked at some of his other cases, Sarah, and he's worked some pretty crazy matches. I know. Tell us about this. So what did you look into and what strategies did he do in some of his cases? I think Pattis will pretty much do anything. And I think Yale is probably not too excited about his introduction to this case because they are not unfamiliar with Pattis. In 2016, Pattis represented a student from Afghanistan, Saifala Khan, who was accused of sexual assault at Yale. And this was a big case, Sarah, a very big yeah. case. And Norm Pattis took on this case, very high profile case. 
And the tactics that he used to get Khan acquitted were very, very controversial. What were some of those tactics? The alleged assault took place on Halloween. The Halloween costume of the victim was put on display. Why? Which, because it was kind of, you because know, it was suggestive or provocative. Yes. So okay. Pattis gets a lot of hate mail and he's proud of it. Right. You know, right. I mean, he's, he's one of those kind of guys. Right. Yeah, he right. doesn't mind drawing fire. He does not <laughs> mind drawing fire. And, and and in that case, he really did. This is another Yale case. We have to remind our listeners. Another this Yale is a, case. This is an Ivy League murders case. And... This, again, Kevin Jang was one of their own. He was a Yale man. So once again, Pattis, in some ways, this is the arena once again we're talking about. He was also one of the defense attorneys for Fotis Dulles, who went to Brown, who was accused of killing his wife, Jennifer. He committed suicide before it went to trial. Another highly controversial Pattis, case. Pattis represented Dulos. And we'll we'll circle back to Dulos in a second. Sure. So he definitely does not shy away from the controversy and uses very controversial tactics. Kind of win at any cost. Yeah. Which you know what? I am all for everybody deserves a healthy defense, right? If your brother, your father, your sister, your mother is accused of a horrible crime. You want a pit bull like Pattis. Don't get me wrong. I have full admiration for people who are willing to really defend people's rights. I'm all for that. However, I just wanted to circle back to, because for people who are unfamiliar with this case, who is King Zuan Pan and what was his connection to this case? Essentially, Pan is 28. He was a graduate student in computer science at MIT. And he specialized in AI, artificial intelligence. His name actually appears on some research papers. I can't even understand the titles, so I'm not even going (laughs) to bother. It's a common theme Um, at MIT. (laughs) So how does this unassuming computer geek become the number one suspect in a huge manhunt? And what is the connection between Pan and Jiang? So Pan was the TA, the teaching assistant for Zion Perry. If you remember, Zion Perry was the fiance of Kevin Zhang. So he taught her at MIT. And if you remember, a week before his murder, Zhang proposed to Perry on January 30th, and he jubilantly announces her engagement on social media. And she said yes kind of thing, and it's still up there. And a week later, Zhang was shot dead. And we can't confirm that there were postings that Pan had an inappropriate fascination with Perry. But did Pan become obsessed with Perry after the announcement of the engagement? Did he lose it and kill Zhang in a fit of passion? This was an execution, Sarah. Zhang was shot multiple times in the face. That's a crime of rage. That is the obliteration of somebody's identity. And this definitely has the markings of kind of a love triangle gone wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean... A love triangle in Pan's mind, I'm thinking, not a real love triangle. And just to remind our listeners, you can look at our previous coverage of this case. We actually went to Pan's house, which is at 93 Clifton Street in Malden. It's about a 10-minute drive from where our studio is. There was nobody home. The door had clearly been broken open. There was wood covering up the door. They had executed a search warrant. We also talked to the Malden police who said that Pan was involved in a domestic argument at 93 Clifton Street back in 2020. So Pan was on the lam for three months and he was spotted in Georgia with family but gave authorities the slip. We thought Pan might have fled to China where he has connections. We I were mean, sure we were that. Sure. I mean, 
it's not easy to evade authorities in a national manhunt for three months. It isn't. And the U.S., has, by the way, has no extradition treaty with China. After an exhaustive manhunt for Pan involving federal marshals, Interpol, and a $5 million reward, Pan was finally captured in Montgomery, Alabama, of all places, on May 14th with $19,000 cash and his father's driver's license. How did they find him? Well, I tried to look into, actually, my sister and I tried to look into, did a neighbor tip them off? Did he stand out in the neighborhood? Like, we looked at Fairview Avenue, and it's, it's this residential but busy street. We were kind of wondering, like, maybe a neighbor tipped them off. Maybe the they, authorities you know. might be keeping that quiet. The person might be collecting the reward. Okay, I know what it was. I think someone was listening to Ivy League murders and our excellent coverage of the case, and they put two and two together. <laughs> oh, Let's hope. You know what? I do think I am proud that I hope that we have tried to keep Kevin's memory alive and keep the interest up in this case. And if our little part in this case has done any good towards that, then I'm sorry, I'm proud of that. Well, Kevin was a special man, and I think we want to keep his memory alive. We want to keep talking about Kevin, and I think with the upcoming trial, Kevin's memory may, we hope not, but may get overshadowed by a lot of courtroom theatrics. Uh, Indeed. And, you know, i got to pause just for a second and say this again. Had Pond not gotten stuck in that metal yard, he would have gotten away with murder. He absolutely would have gotten away with this. And this would have been an unsolved mystery. Was this just a drive-by shooting in New Haven? This would be one of our Ivy League cold cases. So, And that the same officer responded to the yard and then to the Arby's and could recognize the items in the bag. And I just want to mention, too, in July, we went down to New Haven to watch the bail review. So... A bail review, in most cases, it's like a yawn fest. It's like, oh, how much money? Oh, the prosecution wants it higher. The prosecution wants it lower. But Laura, tell our listeners what happened. Yeah, I mean, not this time. And I think this is a very personal case for Sarah and I. I think actually being in the room with the defendant and the family, Kevin Jenks' family members, I mean, to me, it was very moving. The bail was set at $20 million, which was a record in the state of Connecticut. And just to give a perspective, the Dulos case was only $6 million. They do not want him out. So this was a huge deal. And what the prosecutors were saying is that he has resources in China and that he is a flight risk. For a $20 million bill, that's 10%. That's $2 million. For some people, that's bail money. You know what I mean? So if he's got resources, they very well could. They're a very middle-class family in this country, but who knows? But also the defense attorney, William Grace, said that a bail set that high was tantamount to having no bail at all. Yeah, in other words, like In other words, like, why have bail at all? He's not being given bail. It's too high. It's absurd. And so this at the very issue is right now being duped out in Supreme Court. Yeah. And I have a feeling it will get lowered. It is an interesting case. And and I think we'll see what happens with the bail. But I mean, Norm Pattis is definitely going to shake this case up. And I think a lot will unfold. It absolutely will. But we are going to be right there covering this. And I just have to say, again, Norm Pattis, it's going to be fun to watch him, but it will draw attention away from the fact 
that this world has been robbed of a very extraordinary young man, Kevin Chang. You know, and more importantly, his mother and his fiance are without their beloved Kevin. We've talked to some of Kevin's friends. He didn't have a lot, but what he had, he just gave generously. He raised money so he could go overseas to teach kids to read. Oh, he was, know? yeah, he was and extremely like, special. And we're going to... And he, and he did it with a huge smile. Oh, absolutely. Face. You know, he just illuminated people. And that's what people tell us when we talk. To yeah. Them. I mean, we walked by the church where he was going to get married. It was very poignant. And we're going to continue to try to reach out to people who knew Kevin so we can continue to tell his story. And, and he deserves keep, justice. Keep the focus on Kevin. Exactly. We will continue to follow this case as it moves forward. Absolutely. So we are thrilled to welcome Nate Bartles to the Ivy League Murders team. Nate is our new researcher and we couldn't be happier. Nate is so talented that we knew we had to snag him up before somebody else did and, and make him join our team because he is amazing. So, and, and his dog Snickers too, I have to say. Yes. He's very cute. So welcome, Nate. Welcome, Nate. We're very thrilled to have you. Yes. Murder, 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 murder. 